0: Hey friends, thank you so much for joining us on the Abbey Podcast. We are working to help you notice and nurture the work of God in your life, in the life of others, and in the world around you. One small thought we'd ask you to keep in mind is that our teachings, our conversations, and the stories that we tell are primarily meant for our local faith community in Columbus, Ohio. We're happy to share this with you as a gift, and we hope that it could serve you in some way.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of, like, whining and complaining to God, it feels like. I think I was maybe, like, eight or nine weeks pregnant when I last had um, spiritual direction. And um, that was really helpful to just even be able to process with my spiritual director. Like, I am just in this time of suck. Like, how I just, like, to kind of, like, get it off my chest. Um... You know even kind of processing how i was experiencing the lord with her i just felt a lot of encouragement
2: it's, it's been good i mean i think the the space that we've been given to to wrestle with stuff even if we didn't want to and it's been you know forced on us uh it was like you couldn't at least for me i couldn't hide from it you know and and so it was like oh well, we better talk about it or deal with it or uh at least Uh, become more aware of it um, because it's right there.
0: (laughs) Hey, friends. uh, Welcome to the Abbey Podcast. I'm here with my friend Hannah Ruth Estabrook. Can we say that? Of course. (laughs) And uh, we just want to welcome you. And uh, what we're doing each week is we're creating some space and time to catch up together as pastors, talk about what it's like to pastor and to lead in this moment, as well as welcome a guest from our community. So today, uh, a little little later, we'll be welcoming uh, Meg and Anthony Fowler, and we'll hear from them about how how this uh, pandemic has been impacting them and their family and, and get to hear some of their story. So, first, Hannah, let's uh let's catch up. We had talked about giving folks an update a little bit on Sanctuary Night and how things have been going. And I would love to maybe like take us all the way back to four or five weeks ago. Um, how has how has a global pandemic affected your work with Sanctuary Night?
3: Yeah, it's great. Um, well, just by way of context for folks that maybe are not familiar with this project, Sanctuary Night has been now for about two and a half years a drop-in center on Sullivan Avenue hosted out of the Lower Lights uh, Ministries building. And we open traditionally we open the doors. Um, for a couple of hours on monday evenings and women <clears throat> who are find themselves you know involved in prostitution sex trafficking um, walking the street of Sullivan avenue they're invited to come in and spend a couple of hours getting a meal drinking coffee um, we provide hygiene items and clothing and and honestly just a good time. <laughs> um, so for the last couple of years, as we've been stewarding that, the, the best part in my mind has just been the, um, yeah, the kind of the memories we've been creating. You know, we have a lot of fun. We have dance parties and bingo. We play bingo and, you know, just get to know each other and enjoy what we can, right? So that's what we were doing. And then, yeah, when this um, pandemic hit oh man it was pretty gut-wrenching if i'm honest to to try to figure out what was the right thing what was the wise thing the loving thing to do um both to care for the women on the street um, to continue to just nurture the relationships we have with them and also you know, to protect volunteers and to, you know, protect yeah. ourselves and keep all those things, um, you know, in mind. And so, you know, we kind of quickly got this, Our we have a steering committee that meets um, usually every other month. Lately we've been meeting every month um, and everyone sort of agreed that we wanted to still be present in some way that we did not want to just stop showing up. And where we landed was, um, and so for the last really, I'd say, six weeks now, on Monday nights, we are still there in the same time frame. We're still providing a meal, though we are asking volunteers um, to sort of pre package or pre order through a local restaurant. Um, you know, meals that are already bagged just to avoid, you know, unnecessary, um, handling. Right. And so we still are providing a meal. We're still providing a bag of basic hygiene items, but we're no longer allowing women to come into the space. So what's happening is that women are sort of gathering outside and we're just opening up the door, passing out a bag, a meal, um, a bottle of water, um, We've been trying to include some important, you know, information—just things that you know the city has produced, uh, Franklin County has produced—that might help with things like, you know, safe drug use in the time of COVID nineteen, um, and things like that. So we've been just trying to do what we can, and you know, the <laughs> the women that we've had these relationships with have been no question, like grateful that we're still there and that we are able to provide these basic things. Uh, You know, one of the first weeks that we had to do that, we put up a sign on the window that just said, we'd love to welcome you in. We miss you. We want to connect with you, but we have to kind of follow some, um, you know, standards that are recommended. And You know, I just remember like seeing this woman, I can still see her face now. She's just like standing outside and there's just this glass pane in between us. And she just sort of reaches her hand out and she's just like, I want to hug you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I, it just broke my heart. Like, I want that, you know. Um, And, you know, these are women who obviously they don't have the luxury of sheltering in place. They don't have the luxury of social distancing. Um, And so they're so vulnerable. They're, you know, definitely, in my opinion, a high risk population for, um, for the coronavirus. And so, you know, we have to, we have to care for them, you know, we have to do what we can. And, you know, my heart um, really along this entire journey has been to listen to and follow the leadership of survivors themselves. And I, even yesterday, I had a conversation with a woman who normally does an outreach on Sullivan Avenue herself. She started an organization and they have stopped, you know, during this time. They've not been able to continue doing their outreach. And so she said to me, I'm so thankful that you're still doing what you're doing because it does, it means so much. And part of me was like, does it though? Like, are you sure it's doing something? I mean, we're not really having the, you know, robust conversation that we were having before. We're not transporting anyone to treatment. You know, it feels like we're not doing as much. And she just, you know, reminded me and I'm so thankful, <laughs> you know, she just reminded me in her day you know, a, a day in, in the life of a woman who walks the street is, you know, pretty horrendous. And so even just having a, a brief moment of kindness and a warm meal, man could just really make a huge difference in even just an instilling in that person's mind. Like I can keep going, <laughs> you know, I can keep breathing. I can, um, I have value, right? So that's, so I feel encouraged, even though we're not um, doing what I had, of course, originally hoped we'd be doing right now. Um, it does seem like our attention, though it feels more like emergency care is still really valuable.
0: Yeah, man, thanks so much for sharing all that. That's what a, what a lot to take in. It is a lot. <laughs> I suspect I that for a long time. No, it's okay. I mean, I, I suspect that just as in normal life, when most of, most of us aren't in the world that you're in, um, I mean, obviously, um, I'm much more confronted with, with this and, and trying to lean in now that I'm part of the neighborhood and this has been part of this neighborhood for some time. But, you know, five years ago when I was living in Clintonville,
3: mm-hmm. I
0: never thought about these women.
3: Yeah.
0: And so there's a sense in which proximity Mm -hmm. to uh, these women is actually caused them to be on my mind quite a bit more. So as I walk the neighborhood and I walk Sullivan Avenue, Mm -hmm. of course, Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about these women during that time. But even listening to you talk and just narrate a little bit about what the day in the life realities are for these women, it's just reminding me that most people aren't thinking about these women in this you know, and so thanks for, thanks for thinking. Of course. About these women. You know, it also reminds me, um, one of the books that we use in the Abbey to help shape the way we think and help shape leaders is a book called Faithful Presence by David Fitch. And that phrase just kept coming to my mind as I listened to you talk of, you know, this, this question of like, what is it really doing any good? Mm -hmm. And the case that, David Fitch is making in his book is that really what what we have to do and have to figure out how to do as as a church is to be faithfully present mm-hmm. to our neighborhoods and to our cities and to the people in our lives, um, even when it doesn't feel like much is happening. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder, like on the other side of this, there's probably so much fruit that will come from the faithful presence during this time.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I I I think that's right. I um in similar fashion I I frequently find myself clinging to the words of Father Greg Boyle who talks about the idea that, you know, people ask him all the time. He started Homeboy Industries, you know, so he's mm-hmm. working with former gang members and people ask him about success, you know, what is is his organization successful and and by that usually people mean you know recidivism rates and you know are people desisting from this criminal behavior and things like that It just says, basically, I'm called to be faithful and you know it's like it's a different measuring stick um, and one that I think of frequently in this work
0: yeah I bet, and I think about it a lot, even as a faith community as a as a church planter, you know in the church planting world, um you know obviously we've done things pretty differently, um we've structured things differently, we've paced our lives differently, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know we're four years into church planting, and how do you even assess a church in the midst of a a pandemic, but I think we are as strong of a church as I've ever been a part of. Mm. And, you know, we haven't been a quick growth church, but I remember when we first launched and I was sort of kicking around some of the philosophical principles about how I wanted to go about planting a church, um, this very slow way centered around spiritual direction, the contemplative journey. I remember folks that are sort of paid to think about church planting were asking me or saying to me like, Hey, that all sounds great. Like, we're just not sure it's going to work. And my response was, well, yeah, I'm not sure it's going to work either, but the real answer to that question really depends on how long you're willing to wait Mm. to ask the question.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. So if you, if you would have asked at year two, is this church plant working? Most people, like on the outside, would have said probably not, but I think if you ask if we're waiting if we're willing to wait to ask at year ten, I think hands down, we're going to have a really strong church at year ten, yeah, and I think the same about some of the really slow, slow work that you're doing
3: <laughs> yeah
0: it's it's not what happens over the course of a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's what happens over the course of your life. That's right and you'll be able to work. And so the then an act of faith is to like am I going to invest in the thing that God is calling me to?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So I'd love I'd maybe I'm trying to see that a little bit. Tell me how you think a little bit about your vocation because what's clear to you and to all of us around you is that this is you're beginning to march in the lane of your vocation mm-hmm. in some pretty stellar ways.
3: So I think, you know, for me, I, yeah, regardless of sort of the, you know, short-term gain or short-term success or lack thereof, for me, this just feels like the thing I can't not do. (laughs) Um, and, And I think it's two things come to my mind when I say that. Like one is that I can't unsee or unknow what i've seen and what i've known you know i have just had an incredible privilege over the last five and a half years to build relationships with women who are coming out of the lifestyle i've learned so much from them and i cannot um yeah i mean it's just true that like it's changed my life it's changed my perspective and i experience a tremendous amount of joy when I do this work, when I think about this work, when I talk about this work. And so I feel like all I'm really doing in terms of moving into this vocation is I'm paying attention to what's going on around me and I'm paying attention to what's going on inside me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there's just this sort of beautiful overlap in this work. And um, so yeah, that sense of like, this seems like the thing that the survivors are asking for and the thing that I'm quite enjoying. And it also seems like I have, um, I have what I need to like do this work, you know? I mean, I think that's what's been so overwhelming in a good way, like just the amount of people who have said, and, you know, upon hearing that I was considering this project, the amount of times I've heard, you're just the person for that. Um, not that I needed anyone to sort of, you know, I didn't need anyone's validation for that, but I think it's just, it's that idea of like, oh, it seems true to me and also to the people, the community around me that I might be the person to like help steward this, you know? And so, yeah, that's what it's been like for me.
0: Yeah. I love that. And it's, it's really clear. I wonder here's the thing that's coming up for me and this is probably there's probably a lot of more conversation around this, but as we start dipping into this concept of vocation, I think you know i' I'm also one that has felt a really strong sense of vocation and calling um I mean like just really strong like at the visceral level, like I just know what i'm I'm for and what I'm supposed to do and um and I think one of the things that i am growing in my awareness of is that not everybody feels that and i think that one of the challenges is when people you know they they're following jesus they you know they have life with god they're willing to do something Mm -hmm. but they don't have that like strong sense of like this is the thing Mm -hmm. that can feel disorienting then to be around people who like yourself are um experiencing a ton of favor a ton of grace in in that what you just said that you feel like you have everything you need
3: mm-hmm.
0: could you just reflect a little bit on sort of that maybe that that feeling like if you could say something to people who aren't quite mm. sort of swimming in that lane of vocation yet or they're not or maybe they're they're the shape of their life has changed over time and they're feeling like i'm not actually sure what i'm for Mm. right now what would you say could you say something could you say something pastoral (laughs) (laughs) i can sure
3: try jared (laughs) yeah you know i um i think there's this actually reminds me of sort of that gosh the gift of being yourself you know like i think my path into clearly discerning my vocation and and having the courage to walk into it <laughs> um like neither of those things would have been possible if i haven't hadn't done years uh, <laughs> years of painful um sort of self examination and work you know i i just think i mean even as you say that the first thing that came to my mind was just, well, of course, people don't haven't discovered sort of the thing that they're made for, or, uh, that makes them come alive because, you know, we just spend so much of our lives. Um, if we don't do this work, this internal work, we just spend so much of our lives sort of living out of our wounding and not even realizing it, you know, and we all have wounding. And so, um, I think that would be my encouragement. And I know I have a kind of a a bent that direction. That's probably not the only thing that's important, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind is just, um, remaining faithful to, you know, examining your life and seeing, you know, is there an invitation from the Lord to, um, you know, to meet with a spiritual director, to see a counselor, to do some kind of, Soul care um, on your on your story. Um, because when I look at my story now, and i I think about my my history, I should say, I can see I can see how this moment was like being prepped. you know, mm. I can see how my life was pointing in this direction. But if it had happened at a different time, I may not have been ready, or I may not have been healthy um, to really, to do the work that I'm made to do,
0: you know? Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. you You add something to that? No, I mean, I think that was, that was a really good pastoral word. And I, I think I would just say, just to, by, by way of reflecting back to you, what I think I hear is that, that there is some participation with God's work in you that, Along the way of discovering and answering this call on your life, mm. um, you've had to sort of roll up your sleeves and get to work. Yeah, on that on that inner space. Not not because it's like, you know. And this is where we we could spend so much time. You know, my one of my favorite quotes by Dallas Willard. We've been talking about grace, and he he says that grace is not opposed to effort; it's opposed to earning. Mm. And so that that interior work that you've been chipping away at the, the you know the language that we use around formational healing prayer
2: mm-hmm.
0: or formational healing journey has resulted in a real clarity about your vocation about what you're for and the, the courage to just go for it. That's right. You know, because if we if we have the courage to face all that stuff on the inside, um, there's generally nothing external to us that is more frightful than the thing that's in us that's right (laughs) that's been my experience (laughs) no I, i
3: definitely second that i think the courage is is a huge piece of it i mean i you know everybody knows who's like even maybe heard some of my story or watched my ted talk that like you know i was naming at 21 years old that i wanted to work with this population but the reality is that I had so much shame, like I just did not have courage at that age, you know, and I probably needed a lot more. But um, yeah, I think shame is, is at least for me, the thing that threatens to hold me back and uh, courage stepped in in a big way, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's really great to be with you in this journey. And um, obviously, we're going to talk more about about your work with uh, Sanctuary night and um, you know whatever ways that we can continue as a community to help be a midwife to this thing that 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 you're birthing and that God has put in you I've always you know wanted our community to to feel really invested in in the work that you're doing and so whatever we can do to continue that we'll just keep talking. Thank you yeah.
3: Great.
0: Hey, speaking of keeping talking, um, I think Meg and Anthony have been waiting, so we should let him in. Let's do it. Didn't we? Okay, all right, let's let let him in. Hello. Hey Meg, how are you?
1: I'm good, Jared, how are you?
0: Doing really well thanks so much for joining us. I know Anthony's going to join us here in a little bit. so Meg, as as I mentioned before, we're just touching base with members of our community um hearing from folks about what life is like during this pandemic. yeah, for you, like what's happening in your life and what's happening in your spiritual life as well. So obviously, you know the the phrase that we use all the time in the abbey is that we're trying to notice and nurture the work of God in us around us and so tell us a little bit about what this has been like for you and maybe maybe just introduce yourself a little bit uh like who are you (laughs)
1: um yeah we've been like not super involved with the abbey i mean we consider the abbey our church home but i feel like people probably don't know who we are really um so my name is meg i'm married to anthony fowler and we have two kids, so James is four, and Lydia is sixteen months. Um, we so yeah, we consider ourselves members, and yeah, but we live in Clintonville, kind of like north Clintonville. um yeah, so that's like a little bit about who we are. yeah, this has been an interesting time. Um, for me. <laughs> so we found out just about a month before everything closed down that we were expecting our third child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been, that's like colored a lot of my experience. Um, because with both this pregnancy and my last pregnancy with Lydia, um, I've had uh, prenatal depression. So, um, in the first trimester, once the first trimester clears up, then, you know, it goes away. Um, <laughs> But so that's been a strange experience. Um, just feeling like I just have felt pretty disconnected to everything, to be honest. Um, and that's just my experience like in pregnancy, but then also with the pandemic, you know, feeling like I'm just really disconnected from the outside world. And we've also had, so Anthony had um, time off work. So he had some paid time off work for about three. 3 weeks and then he was officially furloughed because of the pandemic he works um in a distribution center so um at the time there was like they hadn't set up you know they hadn't met the requirements of the CDC guidelines like for social distancing and things so they sent everybody home um and he was off for i think two or 3 weeks so in total he was um home a little over a month which was um, helpful because I was, you know, kind of struggling like mentally, emotionally, and physically. Um, But also just really hard because it added an extra layer of uncertainty. Um, Just not knowing when he would go back to work, um, if he would go back to work. Um, Yeah. And then it being pregnant during this time, the other strange thing has been I had an initial doctor's appointment at eight weeks um, but they were trying not to bring people in. So I'm, I'll be 14 weeks tomorrow and I don't have another appointment until my anatomy scan at 18 weeks. Um, Mm. so it just feels like the normal process is just kind of messed up and it feels like we're living in this like little bubble, but there have been, there have been some bright spots. Actually, we've been really loving, or at least I feel more connected doing church on zoom, which I know is not everybody's experience, but um, it's, it has been hard for us with our kids to make it to the Abbey. A lot of Sundays for one, it's a little bit of a drive down there, not crazy, but you know, it's just one hurdle. And then our oldest James just really, he's pretty reserved and he doesn't love childcare. Mm. Um, So it's been kind of nice because I feel like, oh, we're going to church. We're doing like what everybody else is doing, you know, um, getting to participate and um, just feel a part of things. So that's actually been like a really nice experience for us. Um, and then there have just been, we've been a little more connected um, with a couple of other families from the Abbey. just I w- We were swapping child care and gardening actually with the Browns. So Rebecca is helping us start a garden Mm. Um, and I had been watching her kids. So that's actually been a really fun point of connection. We've been Marco Marco Poloing back and forth quite a bit. Um, She's dropped off a couple of things a few times. And so that makes us kind of feel connected, but it's definitely like an experience of just, I just feel like we're in this place right now, you know, because there's just so much uncertainty. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Meg, obviously there's a lot, there's a lot there that we could follow up with. Um, I'm so glad that you guys are feeling connected. I know it's been a hard, you know, time of day. Four o'clock in the afternoon on Sundays isn't always the best time to bring little people. So it is good to know that you're connecting via Zoom Church. Um, so I'm really glad. So uh, I'd love, yeah. I'd love to hear more if you wouldn't mind sharing the the prenatal depression stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love just to hear what's the shape of, how does it hit you? (laughs) If you can Um, say more about that.
1: Yeah. So for me, well, so I've had a little bit of a different experience with pre this time than I did with Lydia. Um, Lydia, it was more extreme. Um, Part of that's probably because now I'm on, um, I'm on an antidepressant. So I have been since Lydia was just, two or three months old and I've decided to continue on with it. Um, so I think that kind of took some of the edge mm. off this time. Um, with Lydia, it was like, you know, I, I, had the, like the fatigue, um, I had the nausea, although I'm really thankful that, um, I've not been one to actually be like, cause I don't know how people survive that. I just, I can't imagine like being sick multiple times a day like that. Um, But like with Lydia, it was just, I just felt this like really overwhelming sadness, just a frustration with Mm. everything. Like I remember even feeling like with Lydia, you know, I just, I didn't want to be in my house. I couldn't stand looking at my backyard, which just sounds so funny, but it was just like this horrible, like discontent. And it just as soon as I hit maybe like 13 weeks or so with Lydia, it just all went away and I just felt fine again. So it was very much um, hormonal. Um, This time, like I said, it hasn't been as extreme. Like I wasn't like sitting on the couch crying for two hours every night. Um, But I did feel, I've kind of come out of it now over the past couple of weeks. But um, just like um, in discontent, you know, I just didn't have a lot of energy anyways. Um, yeah, it just, it's just like, there's a cloud kind of hanging over all of the time. Um, and I just, for me, it was just a sense of really feeling just disconnected from everything. Cause I just didn't want to be in my body experiencing that. And it's not like, oh, I don't want this baby. It's not that mm. at all. Um, it's just, it's just a lot of really negative feelings brought on by hormones. Um, and so that's like a weird thing to sort out um, because I've I've always kind of struggled on and off with anxiety and depression and times in my life, definitely where um, I've been to counseling um, and, you know, practice like um, CBT and, you know, kind of like encountering your thoughts and, um, speaking truth to that and changing those thought patterns and things. And for me, when there's a hormonal aspect, like, um, with prenatal depression, it just, none of that really matters. Like, I just feel very much stuck in that experience. Um, and so, and so it's, it was almost kind of like the pandemic, could have been happening or not and i would have still felt the same way you know it was just kind of another layer of isolation i think um for me and it just feels like okay i just have to sort of like slog through that had the experience of previously where i knew it got better after the first trimester um mm. so yeah and just it was a lot of um just trying to be kind to myself um Make sure I was like eating enough, really, Um, just giving myself permission to like take a nap when Lydia naps, um, and just go to bed early, which is hard to. In it's hard in marriage because that's the time that Anthony and I would usually connect at night, Um, and we just, I just didn't really have that. I felt like I just, you know, I need to go to sleep at like seven thirty. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, So, but we're like I said. Um, I definitely feel like I'm coming out of it. And so I'm really thankful for that.
3: Um if you don't mind, I'd love to just ask you a couple of follow-up questions, Meg. Yeah. I know I don't know you that well actually, but as I'm listening to you, I'm actually thinking, and I think you might know I'm I'm professionally I'm a counselor first, you know. Yeah. But the thing that you just described, like your relationship to your depression, is like like I, I in my mind, I'm like can can clients just listen to that <laughs> like that was be- beautiful is your um, first of all, your ability to recognize um, oh, this is primarily hormonal, right, and yeah. so it's not because my think I have thinking errors right now, it's not because yeah. you know, even circumstances. Uh, other kinds of circumstances in my life or trauma. It's really just sort of biological. And so even your ability to remind yourself of that and your reference to self-compassion and man, I just, I mean, unfortunately it's a pattern for you, right? Like you've experienced it before. So you've had to learn those things, but I just felt really encouraged listening to you. And I think there are lots of people who, who experience depression and anxiety, and on top of that, experience shame for feeling yeah. depressed and anxious. Yeah. What you just articulated was, yeah, I have this sort of depression thing that happens. And, you know, it sucks. And also, I'm still okay, you know, and I, uh, I, so I just feel really encouraged by that. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that I found myself curious about was just what what's your experience of God in the midst of, of those times of depression. And even in this, in this most recent time, uh, what's been your conversation with God about that?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of like whining and complaining to God. It feels like, um, and there were definitely days when, um, I, I actually, I processed a lot, um, I think I was maybe like eight or nine weeks pregnant when I last had um spiritual direction. And um that was really helpful to just even be able to process with my spiritual director. Like, I am just in this time of suck. Like how I just like to kind of like get it off my chest. Um, you know, even kind of processing how I was experiencing the Lord with her. I just felt a lot of encouragement and you know, she I've been sort of like walking this journey with her for um six or seven years so she was able to to like remind me like Mm. you know this has happened before like you know you've walked through this before and it was really encouraging but um so it was really helpful to have that perspective um you know somebody kind of feeding into my life that way um but you know i told her i there especially in the first few weeks of it when it felt the hardest. Um, I was really experiencing God just as a listening, compassionate ear because I just felt like I was just unloading on him a lot. (laughs) Um, But I was also like, I know that that's like, you know, what he's there for, you know, or that's part of, you know, um, part of our relationship, I guess. Um, and so that was really comforting and it wasn't, you know, it's not like I felt like he was telling me like, Oh, it's all going to get better soon. It was just, I just really felt like a compassion and a peace when I would sort of unload that way. Um, and it wasn't necessarily like that every time. I mean, there have been times probably on my more like disconnected days, um, where, which also. I'm a nine on the Enneagram. So I'm like, you know, I'm kind of like a number. Like, I just don't really want to feel my feelings. Um, but, uh, so, you know, there were some days where I was just really kind of tuning out of everything. And, and those days I would say, um, it was a little bit harder to experience the compassion of God. Um, but I mean, we've kind of made it through that. So, but I will say thanks for that encouragement because that's like really helpful to hear from your perspective for me. Um and there was one other thing I was going to say about that. Oh, I guess just I am really thankful that I know that it's time bound this time. I didn't with Lydia. Um and I think that made the whole experience much harder, but I'm glad that this time, you know, I had that hindsight of like, okay, this is just what happens. We can do this, you know. Mm. So, yeah.
3: I love that so much. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if Jared would agree, but it sounds to me like kind of that can maybe a little bit confusing to some, but the experience of depression and consolation at the same time, like your experience of God's presence and, um, seems like you were oriented, you know, to, to him and to his work in your life. And, um, he felt near to you most of the time, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of an odd experience, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there have been times where I haven't had that. But this time, you know, and especially on those really hard days, I just felt really um thankful that I could give, you know, those cares to him instead of letting them weigh more heavily yeah. on me. Yeah.
0: It's beautiful. Man, it just makes me think like what a difference. Um just having some years under your belt makes in life, you know. Yeah. I it's like it's just as true. Like life at 25 or 26 is harder in some ways to sort of cope than it is life yeah. at 36 or 42 or whatever it is, you know? And so I just uh there is something to be said. And I think the reason I point this out is that, you know, you've been you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Um and i think one of the joys of growing in our life with god is that we're growing towards likeness, we're growing in our uh tools to to sort of navigate the the life that we have with god and with other people and
1: mm. yeah and the thing you know thinking back about that is you just it makes me think of we have a kid's book called we're going on a bear hunt and it's like you just you know at 25 26 you don't have those tools because you haven't been through it like you kind of have to go through it to get the tools like and it's so hard you can't go over it. you can't go under it you have to go through it but it's, yeah
0: amen it is so true it's so true So thanks for yeah. man, just thanks for sharing all of that. Just you know, I hadn't I didn't know that that was part yeah. of your experience in this season of pregnancy. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Anything else that stands out Thank to you, you about? Um, you know, obviously that has shed, you know overshadowed some of your experience of the pandemic, but. And obviously, we're going to talk to Anthony a little bit, but what, hell, what's it been like for you guys? Two little kids, mm-hmm. baby in the oven, mama's not feeling the the best.
1: Anthony will have many things to say on this. <laughs> this has been really, that's been the bulk of the hardness yeah. for him. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, I am thankful to – not that we didn't have hard times, he and I, because we definitely had brushes where it was like neither one of us were understanding with each other. We were, like, tired of being cooped up together. Um, he went back to work last week, and I think um, we were both kind of relieved to be back to our routine a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I was, I'm thankful to have a spouse who is um, – like really willing to step up and to be compassionate and be understanding towards me, um, in this, because the being, I think trapped home together all the time was really hard. Um, and we, I mean, we were like learning some things as a family. Um, and I'm trying to think who I remember seeing somebody post on social media about, Oh, it was like a friend at our old church. Um, was posting about how you know he just couldn't quite shake this feeling that there would be um a lot of good that would come out of this time out of like even being cooped up together with your family like you're just you can't there are certain things you can't escape and so you have to work through them um and we i think we had i don't know if anthony would agree with this or not but from my perspective we there were a couple times where we had some hard conversations that we wouldn't have had otherwise that hopefully have like moved us slightly more towards health mm. in our marriage um so yeah anthony i think anthony will have a better perspective on that because it, he was definitely more like in it whereas i was just kind of like slogging through you know
0: yeah that's great well i guess we'll hear from anthony yeah, I'll go grab him. Yeah, go grab him. Okay. Anthony Fowler. What's up, man? What's up? How you doing? How are you? Well, we just had a lovely conversation with your wife. Yeah, I'm sure you did. And uh, you guys <laughs> just made the the handoff of children. We did. So Anthony, Meg, Meg shared with us a little bit about what it's been like. Uh, she's, she talked a lot about the prenatal depression that she experiences. Yeah. And sort of how that's impacted. Um, just in general, just want to hear like how how has this been for you? What's been? Uh, what are some highlights or lowlights for you? Uh, what are you What are you noticing um, in in yourself spiritually during this time of pandemic? And then you can even tell us a little bit about just the practicals, like your work and how that shifted and all that stuff. So,
2: sure. cool. Yeah. Cool um well man it's been it's been interesting um to say the least uh the past you know four six eight weeks you know um one thing i think that you and I have already talked about Jared it might have been a couple of weeks back, but the reality of i'm a pretty uh routine oriented like rhythm oriented practice oriented uh person and uh not that that's better or worse. It just is, it is what it is, and um, Meg isn't really, um, <laughs> and she's very much, uh, which has been really good for me over the course of our marriage. You know, it's been for the spontaneity, the the fun, the go with the flow. She's way better at that than I am, and uh, but when you're in a place like we are right now, and uh, or at least for me. Where I was for four weeks leading up to this past week when I went back to work, but we're we're home and uh, there's no place to go and there's nothing to do, and uh, realizing the, the like the how, how much we don't have a rhythm in the sense of not that we don't have a rhythm at all, but like it's not what I would expect or what I would want day in and day out is how what works for my wife and the kids. And especially when Daddy's home, it's like, even right now, just coming up here to have this conversation was really difficult. My kids were like, "You're home. Why are you leaving us? Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing?" And uh, that—that's on a like very minute. You know, that was like a two-minute thing. Multiply that over the course of you know an hour, over a day, over a week, over four weeks, nonstop. And, uh, and then just the reality of like Meg was talking, I think, I'm not sure exactly what she shared, but just the, the reality of, of her energy right now. And, uh, and me feeling, and I, i yeah, just feeling like I needed to do a lot and whether or not that's true. I was, I think I was over the course of the past few weeks, really realizing, uh, my, Overfunctioning is coming out, or was coming out quite a bit, with my kids and with my wife, and thinking like I needed to do everything, um, and I was wrestling with um, kind of going going back and forth, like vacillating with anxiety between like rest and being really active, making sure that I'm doing enough for this time and not wasting this this time, or Kind of going back and forth between trying to create meaning or or be focused on that connection and the engaging with the family versus like concern about what's going to happen, about money, about job, about, you know, just health in general. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so it was just really, really, really bizarre, you know, in some ways.
0: Yeah, go go back with me if you don't mind. Um, this, uh, you know, you use this phrase, overfunctioning. You said some of your overfunctioning is coming out. Obviously, folks that you know have been a part of the Abbey, that that phrase may feel familiar. We talk a little bit about um, this kind of thing. It comes out of a family systems theory. Um, I'd love just to hear you describe your use of that word. What does that mean for you? How do you know when you're overfunctioning? And yeah. maybe start with like a definition. Like what how would you define overfunctioning?
2: Um from the way that I it it kind of sits with me if I would define it is when um I can feel in me a almost like a like a hum of like vibe almost like vibration of feeling this constant like i need to to take care of this to make sure everybody around me is okay everything around everything everyone and everything around me is okay whether or not i feel okay it's that everything else around me is and there's this feeling inside of me maybe it's it's the this voice saying well once everything around you or everyone around you is okay then you will be okay um, yeah so
0: that's that's probably one of the best descriptions of overfunctioning i've ever heard in my life Seriously,
3: I was I was just gonna say that doesn't resonate at all. <laughs> <laughs> Come
0: on, yeah, I mean, yeah.
3: yeah, just kidding, man.
0: Right, totally right. would. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I love I love just the even just the the visceral description of that hum in your body. I think it's really helpful. Um, and, and I think you and I have talked about this. Just awareness of where we feel things in our body, like, becomes yeah. data that we can say, "Oh, wow, something is." Yep. something is off Um, and so like I remember years ago uh, someone in my family probably my wife maybe one of my kids they pointed out to me that there was a way that I walked well when I was when what I later discovered was a feeling of anxiety Mm. and so it would show up in my body before I would become aware of it and man that piece of information just sort of slowed me down in awareness of like huh i'm leaking out Mm. somewhere and Mm. so now i need to pay attention to the leak so the hum that you experience now is sort of you you now know what that is and yeah so uh so your process your sort of maybe a default setting is if Mm. if everybody else is fine if everything is fine Mm then i can begin to think about whether i'm fine yeah how are you being disruptive of that pattern what are some ways that you found and obviously that's a lifelong process of undoing Mm -hmm. right but what where are you experiencing some um yeah some some disruption of that process
2: yeah well, I will say one thing I've noticed is uh, how how much more difficult it was for me to have any type of uh, kind of handle on myself or being able to like choose how to step out of those feelings. It was much more difficult being home with the family 24-7, actually. Mm. And it was much more difficult for me to engage in any type of, uh, and maybe it's it, maybe it was just because I had, couldn't leave it, you know, it was just kind of always there. Um, and, it, and it's a lot easier for me to feel more, uh, more kind of centered or grounded when there's some type of external of the home practice, for, you know, or things that like kind of, or, or external of me, things like setting up boundaries. I don't have to make them. And I've found very difficult to make boundaries when it's, when no one else is able to do it for me there's no there's nothing else out there to do it for me and i was like really struggling with that um and still am but because i'm working again a little bit it's like provided some like band-aid for that but um but the one thing that was really and i like noticed it when it wasn't possible was being able to you know i'd wake up in the morning the kids would wake up super early I would have the kids while Meg slept um, for, you know, two, three hours, whatever it is. And then they would, when Meg would get up, we would eat and kind of be together. And then I would have to leave the house and have to go for a run for like, you know, be out of the house for, even if it's, it was 20 minutes, but just that was often enough for a few hours. Then it started to creep back in, but it was, a re, it was something that became a very like, even if it was like, you know, the low freezing out, you know, it was, I was just, I just had to get out of the house and go Um, and I would do it every day, you know, what, you know, seven days a week for that whole time I was off, you know, and uh, that provided some, and it was, it was a choice that I made, you know, to for my body to be able to kind of, and I think I needed to sweat. I needed to put almost like put that hum to, to use (laughs) it, felt like this, there's already this activity in me like trying to do something And so if I could just, instead of trying to control people around me or try to like just fix the house or do the dishes again or whatever, I needed to actually move my body. And that at least provided some respite for a period of time.
0: Yeah. That's great, man. I mean, that's so helpful to know. Yeah. Um, I I suspect that like people right now as they're listening can really resonate with this idea that um, all of the structure of my life has been removed how do i how do i live mm-hmm. and you know creating that structure for yourself is really hard it's really hard to start from scratch and to build a life and i think one of the things that i've been thinking a lot about is um in this time wondering if people could take some time and think about what do they actually want in their life hmm. and because it's going to be it's going to be really easy to have things come back into our life that maybe if we really stopped to think about it, we were like, hey, actually, I don't really need this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So like some of you know, like I, I uh, my Facebook account was hacked, like on Easter Sunday and I woke up Easter Monday and Facebook completely deleted my account. And I haven't been on Facebook since Easter.
2: Right.
0: And um, I actually love it. I mean, I'm just, I'm just not going to go back. So like that was something done to me, but I just wonder, Mm. you know, if we could stop to think about what do I actually want to be the structure of my life? And obviously we don't have control over all of that, but uh, is there anything that you're learning in this season now that you're back to work Mm. that as you think about sort of building some rhythms into your life that you're are you thinking about right
2: now it's a great question um, you know i think that i've what i what i love about but really what it's crazy to say that what i love about this time because that sounds like awful um, but what i'm enjoying in some ways about this this period of time is the amount of uh freedom i feel to uh reach out to friends or to people and just to talk and um how much life i've found from that and realizing how much i felt the need to show up in a certain way to do that before or that like i had to have something to talk about or have something to bring that was or even like I, I had to make sure everything, I can make sure everything around me was okay in order to then jump on a, a call with somebody as opposed to just doing it in the midst of life. And, uh, or the other thing I'd felt was this feeling of uh, I would be interrupting somebody doing that, even a friend hmm. and this feeling of like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do that because I'm a, you know, I want to talk to that person, but I don't know what they're doing right now. They could be busy. I'm just not going to mess with it. And then months go by and I don't talk to that person. Um, and so I guess what I've realized is I've, I've loved that, the ability to do that and the, the times I've been able to do that with friends and even just neighbors or whomever and wanting that to be a regular thing, um, in life where it's not, it's okay to want to FaceTime one of my buddies, which would I would like would have never done and have never done before. You know, Because my friends, I'm like, and we talked. I, I, We've had a few Zoom calls with a handful of my friends. And we were talking about how great that was to do that. And I was saying, if we didn't have this right now, it, we would have all tried to coordinate our schedules, the six of us, five or six of us. And it would have been months before we would have gotten together. Hmm. And just seen how each other was doing at the same time and connected. And so um, not that I want to do all of my stuff over Zoom, but uh, the reality of just doing it. If, if I want to see somebody want to connect just do it and so I think that that's one of the things and now that I'm back to work it's it's actually brought some some relief of the like needing to set up boundaries and all of that um, but I do there is a, a almost a lament that I'm not able to wake up with my kids and be home you know and all of that so there's a weird a weird place of of in me of like how do I How do I do that? How do I, how do I deal with that? Because it's good that I'm working. And, um, but I think the biggest thing is just the connection with people and not feeling this pressure one way or the other to be, to do it right or well, or to be right or well myself before doing that. So.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah. One of the things that Meg mentioned was that, um, and I think she was wondering if you would agree about this. Mm -hmm is that you know she mentioned that you guys have had some harder conversations during this time and maybe some conversations that wouldn't have emerged had this time not have sort of pressed them to the surface that's right and so um yeah like there's there's something good even in your marriage even in your life as a family um that's come out of needing to press through some hard conversations yeah
2: yeah It's it's been good i mean I think the, the space that we've been given to, to wrestle with stuff, even if we didn't want to, and it's been, you know, forced on us. Uh, it was like, you couldn't, at least for me, I couldn't hide from it, you know? And, and so it was like, well, we would better talk about it or deal with it or uh, at least uh, become more aware of it um, because it's right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man
3: to just say that like as I'm listening to you Anthony this is actually less about the content of what you shared and more as I just sit here and think about the shape of your life even before this pandemic like you're a guy that gets up at 4 a.m. every day and you know goes to a job that I'm assuming like isn't your dream job I could be wrong about that Um yeah and you know uh, no, you're already. you're coming yeah. you're coming home to two <laughs> young children and a baby on the way and I, honestly the question that's just going through my head is like how do you do it <laughs> like uh, cuz i think there are other people in our community also anthony who are navigating you know jobs they don't love young children um mm-hmm. like what makes i mean i know you you've said a lot you know about mm-hmm. the importance of rhythm and some structure for you, but yeah, um, yeah what, what keeps you going?
2: Yeah. Gosh, I think I wrestle and ask that question or similar questions uh, all the time. And I think I'm failing at it all the time. And, uh, but what's, <laughs> yeah. I remember when I, when I started this job, I was angry um, it was the only job offer I had received. I was actually angry that like, this was the job that I had to do. And, uh, and so it's not been easy and it's not been, uh, and I all the time am like wishing for a, a, a different or a better, you know, situation when it comes to work. And, but then if I, you know, I think I sit back and I have to like, and I guess it goes back to the the thought of like the, what is what's important or what's essential, what I want my kids to remember, how do I want them to know me and how do I want, uh, how do I want to just, how do I want the people closest to me to experience me? And it's, if that means that I'm doing a job that maybe I don't love, but is working some things out in me and that I'm, that at least fits a rhythm of life that, I actually love, which is getting up early and being home early um, and not working the nine to five and having to drive with traffic and have to wear a, you know, a shirt and tie and all of that, then okay, you know, and hopefully it's not forever, you know, hopefully it's shorter than it is long, you know, but I think I'm, I'm often thinking about And even in work, you know, the job that I'm doing, that shows the way that I, how do I show up to the people around me? How are they experiencing me? Even if they don't have to, they don't have to know that I don't want to be here. They don't have to know that, that I don't, you know, I have different dreams of, you know, to, for life, you know, but if they can experience me in a a way that's like, hopefully shining, you know, a good light or making them feel better um, about their life too, or I can kind of do that in some way, then okay. Um, and again, it's been really hard at times, but, uh, I guess that's how I do it. I don't know. I, I get to drive in silence to work every day cause it's dark and nobody else is on the road. So that helps. There's a time of like centering. I park in the very absolute farthest spot from the entrance so I can have this period of time walking in to center myself. And when I leave to leave it there. Um, so there's like yeah. practices like that that help me just you know, be where I am and yeah. not let it kind of weigh yeah, on
3: me too gold, much. Man. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, it's really good. I love one, I'll just reflect one thing back to you just because it really relates to some of what Han and I were talking about uh, before you and May came on, which mm-hmm. was, um, they're just our seasons of our life where mm-hmm. they're like holding seasons yeah. where we're being held in place and and we're getting to work some things out. Yeah. And, you know, the temptation is to sort of be a bit saccharine about, about, Oh, you know, this is, this is just a a season where you're working some things out and to push hope out into the future. Yeah. And I think the real challenge is to, is to be okay with being in a season like this while also maintaining the hope. Yes. great. Yeah. That, that God um, is stirring things in you and healing things in you and addressing things in you and loving you in ways that you probably aren't even aware about. Yeah. So, man, thanks so much for. Um, That's great. For carving out some time and um, I don't know, give James and Lydia some ice cream or something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> something good, man. They deserve. Yeah, yeah.
0: Really grateful yeah. for you and Meg to be a part of our community and. Um,
2: so, thank you. We enjoy it. We're glad to to do this, and we love where we and
3: are. And I just want to so, say, and I should have said this to Meg too, but like, it's it's like totally okay that you know the Abbey is home, and also sometimes you can't make it <laughs> because the reality of your life is you. what it is. And um, we're just so glad you're you're part of this community. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks,
0: Hannah yeah amen all right friends well we're gonna wrap it up here and uh we'll be back next week with another another guest and hannah and i will continue to to flesh out this process of of helping folks in our community notice and nurture the work of god in their lives it's out. so thanks so much In some pretty,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, can I can I say badass ways? Can I do that? <laughs>
3: yeah, you're the one who told me I couldn't swear on this podcast.
0: Oh, <laughs> you're you're the one that's beginning to march in the lane of your vocation in some pretty stellar ways,
3: <laughs> even badass.
0: We might say. Oh my gosh.
3: Wow, sorry.
0: <laughs> what are we doing? Um, okay. Okay. Um <laughs> <I'm>
3: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>